Welcome to the Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan podcast. CDAM is Michigan's leading criminal defense organization whose mission is to promote expertise in criminal law to educate the bench, bar, and public of the need for quality and integrity in defense services and representation, to promote enlightened thought concerning alternatives to the present criminal justice system, and to guard against erosion of the rights and privileges guaranteed by the United States and Michigan constitutions and laws. Today we're joined by John Shea, who is a committee chairperson for CDAM's Rules and Laws Committee, uh, and he has been paying close attention to House Bill 5785 and its companion in the Michigan Senate, Senate Bill 1054. Both of these bills prepare, uh, propose to uh, reverse or correct or fix the People versus Cunningham decision that came down on June 18, 2014, in which uh, the Michigan Supreme Court unanimously ruled that... Uh, court costs could not be assessed to the criminal defendants uh, for general general court funding. Is that about right, John? Did I get that correct? Yeah. They, the, the Cunningham decision said that there's no statutory authorization for courts to assess uh, what we have come to know as court costs. Um, uh, unlike other kinds of costs that are assessed, victim rights fees, uh, um, costs of prosecution under in, in certain cases uh, where there is a specific statute that authorizes what can be assessed um, uh, apparently and uh, certainly was went right by me but apparently for decades uh, the courts um, have uh, just sort of relied on their in, inherent uh, judicial authority to um, assess costs uh, which are supposed to be used to defray um, uh, the costs that the court incurs in presiding over criminal cases. And what brought it to the fore, um, if I'm remembering correctly, is there was a court, and I think it was the court that was involved in Cunningham, that was assessing uh, court costs uh, for, and, and part of the formula that it used in determining how much to assess um, uh, was, was looking at um, uh, how much the court was laying out uh, for uh, you know, building maintenance and other amenities like exercise rooms and things of that nature. There, the exercise rooms in the courthouse for judges and staff and things like that. And I think there was some uh, appropriate offense taken um, at, at, at that uh, kind of thing. So um, it was it was probably a, a good a good case uh, for the Supreme Court. Uh, in terms of the the, the, the compelling facts, uh, it's probably a good case for the Supreme Court to um, to take up on this issue. At least it was a good case for our clients. Well, I know that a lot of uh, there's been some dissent uh, that comes along the lines of pay or stay. Uh, will the poor be required to go to jail because they can't afford to pay for a courthouse's new gym or something like that? and other practical objections to this type of funding? We, yes, there, there's a number of, there's a number of issues and then they're, they're, they're related, but then, but they're, but, but they're not all the same. And then, and, um, you know, since Cunningham has given us the opportunity to take a fresh look at this, um, 
groups like CDAM and the ACLU and some district judges, and I think some district judges associations, um, uh, raised a, a, a number of what I think are relevant issues, um, uh, starting with should we be relying on taxing defendants for costs at all as part of our system. I mean, the prosecutor doesn't have to pay costs if he loses. Um, uh, why should we do it this way? Is it a little unseemly for a court to be presiding over cases that ultimately will inure to the court's financial betterment? Um, I don't think that's that that's sort of a global policy issue that I don't think anybody is um, ready to engage in Lansing right now, um, but it's a legitimate issue. Um, other issues, I mean, assuming we do maintain uh, a system that permits trial courts to assess costs on criminal defendants who lose their cases or who are convicted in some fashion, other obvious issues arise that, that, that this gives us an opportunity to address, like how do we identify what is a proper um, outlay? What, what, what kinds of outlays do courts make that are proper for um, uh, uh, assessing costs against? Um, you know, we, we, if, if the court is going to be putting out, is going to be paying expenses regardless of, of uh, whether you have a criminal case docket or not. I mean, you're going to have maintenance expenses. You're going to have um, uh, 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 capital expenses. You're going to need paper clips and you know uh, clerks and and everything else. Um, uh, regardless of whether you have a, a single criminal case in one in one in in that particular court, uh, is is are those costs which are those expenses those outlays which a court is going to incur regardless of, uh, of 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 whether there are criminal cases brought be uh, be taxed against defendants as costs? So how do we identify what is a proper outlay that for a court to get reimbursement? Uh, in the form of cost. That's one issue. Another issue is <clears throat> how do we um, uh, ensure that costs um, don't, you know, swallow the, uh, the uh, or, or aren't disproportionate in terms of penalty that's assessed in a particular case. Um, in drunk driving cases, it's not uncommon uh, for someone who's convicted of operating while visibly impaired to get the full Levy, you know the full fine of 300 bucks. They might get twice that in co in court costs. You know, 600 bucks in court costs, 125 dollars in uh, a police uh, uh, expense reimbursements. And um, is it is it proper to for a defendant um, uh, in a case where the fine is modest to face a financial penalty that is uh, uh, many multiples above that modest fine? Uh, just because we can call it <clears throat> court costs, right? Should... And I, I've done the calculations, and it looks to me like in a typical drunk driving case, eighty percent of the fine, financial penalties paid by the person don't go towards the actual fine. The rest yeah, of it right. goes to the, the court costs, the prosecutors, the police, uh, you name it. It's going to other places, and that leads that that led me to another question for you. 
How is this tolerable when we've got a constitutional provision that Section 9 of our Michigan Constitution indicates that all penal uh, or all sanctions for penal crimes will be paid into the library fund? How do we get away with just renaming something uh, from a fine and calling it now a cost and suddenly it's constitutional because we, we changed the nomenclature? Yeah, I haven't even thought about that issue. Uh, it's an interesting, uh, uh, interesting uh, observation. Um, is, is that is that where all of our fines are supposed to go into the library fund? It, it states the legislature shall provide by law for the establishment and support of public libraries, which shall be available to all residents of the state under regulations adopted by the governing bodies thereof. All fines assessed and collected in the several counties, townships, and cities for any breach of the penal laws shall be exclusively applied to the support of such public libraries and county law libraries as provided by law. Wow, I'll be darned. Yeah. <laughs> and so, but but by calling it a cost, and, and traditionally we're looking back at the older cases, they were able to get away with assessing some minor cost in some cases because it truly was an out-of-pocket expense incurred by a party or the court itself. But they weren't allowed, for example, to charge a jury fee to the criminally accused for demanding a jury trial. The court mm-hmm. said the courts are not tax gatherers. Mm-hmm. But now we've gotten to the point where we're literally looking at funding the courts by a, a self-funding through the criminal defendants that walk through the doors. Well, it's nothing different than, you know, I mean, when we when we started doing, you know, when we were in this work 30 years ago, Bill, it was the same thing, wasn't it? I mean, it's, this isn't, they're not, I don't think what the legislature is doing or is trying to do is is create a new system. They're trying to roll back Cunningham so they can perpetuate the old system. Well, I that, agree with that's you. That's what I see, yeah. yeah. And, and, uh, and, and it gives us an opportunity to say, wait a minute, the old system stinks. Um, it's, it's, it's unduly punitive when you compare it to the seriousness of the offense itself. Why should a first offense OWVI cost 1200 bucks for the defendant to get out the door? In addition to then having to go on probation and probation oversight fees and complete his alcohol education classes and maybe, you know, have to, you know, uh, pay 20 bucks a blow because he's going to be random tested. Uh, you know, why, why, what, what, where's, where's the justice in that? Um, should we have, should we have, if we're going to have costs, maybe we should have caps on them and maybe they should be no, not be, not be permitted to exceed half of the maximum fine, at least in misdemeanor cases and felony cases, that might be too much because you get some felony cases so you, you could assess a $25,000 fine. But, you know, in a retail fraud case, if the most you can get is 500 bucks in fines, uh, then 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 maybe the most you should be able to assess in costs is 250 bucks, just to keep everything proportional. Otherwise, it looks like you know the 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 the, the punishment quotient of the financial penalty is dwarfed by the restitution component to the system. Um, and who, whoever said the defendants are responsible for maintaining the criminal justice system, which the public benefits from as well. So, so there's, there's, and, and then, and then, you know, of course, we haven't even begun talking about the fact that 80% of all people who are charged with felonies are indigent. Uh, probably a high percentage of all people, of people charged with misdemeanor, maybe not as high as 80, because it's easier to fund a privately fund a misdemeanor defense than a, than a felony defense. But certainly, a significant number of people charged with misdemeanor offenses are indigent. And uh, what sense does it make from a policy perspective? 
to think that we're going to be able to maintain, financially maintain, a court system on the backs of indigent people. Well, and at the same time, we're looking at getting rid of the driver responsibility fee and uh, revamping driving while license suspended because these have posed such grave problems for the poor. You know, we've got a permanent class of suspended drivers out there who simply cannot afford to get their driver's license back being hit daily with new criminal charges because they need to work just to be able to feed themselves. Um, but we're going to tack on, well, while we're doing this revamping, we're shifting the money on over to the court to try and come up with a self-funded court. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a stillborn idea. Uh, the, the counties know it. The counties know that they can't, they can't support their court systems just on the basis of filing fees in civil cases, filing fees in divorce cases, judgment fees in those cases, and costs assessments in criminal cases. They know they can't. It's it's um, it's never been that's that, that's never been. I don't think even close to how they how they how they how they fund um, uh, in the entirety. I think what they've been screaming about is that it's a significant enough percentage of their uh, annual revenues that it's a hole they can't fill. Um, uh, and that's why they went back to the legislature said you have to you have to reverse this you, since we don't have statutory authority you have to give us statutory authority and that's what the House bill and the Senate bills are supposed to do. What we're trying to do is is moderate that authority uh, uh, in a way that addresses the concerns uh, of the poor that addresses practices of certain courts in the state of imprisoning people who are indigent because they can't pay costs um, and, uh, and and makes the system more sensible on its face in terms of proportionality and and maybe there should be some caps um, and uh, uh, and requiring courts to identify precisely what it is uh, they are taxing costs for what was it how do you come up with in your budget um, uh, how do you identify what are the kinds of expenses that you think are solely criminal justice system related uh, and that you're going to seek reimbursement for um, in the form of costs? So as we have this discussion, hopefully if the the, the bill is up for vote next week, we're, we're advised there's going to be a, uh, an amendment offered by one of the Republican sponsors to uh, have a 24-month sunset in that bill, and um, the understanding is, uh, and the assurances that people like CDAM and the ACLU have been given uh, from um, legislative leaders, is that uh, they want to ha- have this continuing discussion as well. It actually is somewhat consistent with their own political philosophies, because a lot of the fiscally conservative Republicans don't like big government. They don't like, you know, they don't like taxes. They don't like, you know, assessments, and uh, they want to know. You know what the hell's going on? How come a court needs to do this? And is a court doing it properly? And is it doing it in a fashion that um, equates with good government as opposed to just uh, profligate government? And what does this do to the presumption of innocence? I mean, I understand that most judges try to do the right thing, but what if a particular court has a budget shortfall because a particular judge is not finding enough people guilty? I mean, that's that's my biggest concern about this, and I think that we need to fight this on principle because we can't fund the courts this way. It, it's the old justice of the peace system that we had way back in the day where the, J, the JPs were self-funded through the tickets that they assessed to people, and it led to a highly 
inequitable, unfair system where if the JP wanted to get paid, the JP was going to find somebody responsible. I don't know. I mean, I, I think that it's unseemly on its face. I think the appearance of it is unseemly. As a practical matter, I don't know that judges control enough cases uh, in terms of outcome um, where they can they can do that. I mean, the, I, it seems to me if 95% of all criminal cases are pled out, um, that's a choice that the defendant makes after consultation with his counsel and after negotiation with the prosecutor. Um, uh, you may get a cop's agreement on sentence, but the decision, you know, whether to be convicted or not, 95% of the time is not the court's, but it's the defendant's. In the 5% of the cases that go to trial, is a judge going to feel a financial pressure to find somebody guilty because then they get to assess costs? I suppose you know, uh, someone could make the argument. I think that the numbers, um, I've not, I, I haven't, I haven't, um, I haven't felt that kind of pressure, um, uh, in, 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 when it comes to trials. Um, and I just think if, if that, that, that number of cases is so small relative to the ones that are pleased that I don't, I, I have a, I have a hard time thinking a judge uh, would would feel that kind of pressure just in that small number of cases. But maybe you're thinking about it in a different way. I am, and uh, <laughs> I I won't say who this judge is, but I had a judge that was quoted in the newspapers just a couple of years ago, indicating that the local police department had stopped had had done a, a slowdown. They weren't writing as many tickets. And this judge is more of the sort of judge that is concerned about the fiscal side of things and indicated to the local newspapers that uh, the tickets that generate the revenue just weren't being written. If we have the work, we can generate the funds. Just one drunk driving ticket brings in $1,400 to the city. Yeah, I'm sure that there are judges who think that way. I just don't know that they that, that they that they have any control over it, though. Really, I mean, realistically. Um, again, I mean, if 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 uh, if my client decides he's going to plead guilty to that drunk driving first because it's reduced to operating while impaired first, um, you know, the judge doesn't really have any influence over that decision, and and the judge gets the money. Um, uh, uh, because my client has decided to to accept responsibility, it's just I just don't think there's enough trials where a judge can control the outcome, you know, and say, okay, I'm going to find more people guilty than not guilty because I want the money. I don't think there's enough trials where that incentive is really there. Um, I have heard judges complain. Also, I, like you, I've heard judges complain about you know um, they don't they don't they're not like critical of the cops. They're they're making a typically they they sit, state it more softly because of police department cuts. There aren't as many officers on the road. There's not as many cars on the road. Therefore, there's not as many arrests being made. There's not as many charges being brought. There's not as many tickets being written. Blah blah blah. And it does in your to the detriment of the court's bottom line. We've had, I mean, every court in Washtenaw County uh, has has had pretty dramatic uh, caseload uh, uh, reductions, um, and um, uh, it has caused um, it has caused belt tightening um, uh, in the courts as a result. You know, uh, uh, 
uh, people retire, the, the vacancy isn't filled. Um, a lot of most of it's labor, I think. Um, uh, but they haven't. They, I haven't heard any judge yet be so crass as to actually, you know, criticize law enforcement for not working hard enough because and, and it hurting the court's bottom line. I have no doubt that some may think that way. I just haven't heard. Now, is there a is there a better way that we can fund the courts? I think the better way to fund the courts is for the state just to step up the same way as the, the better way to fund uh, indigent defense counsel. Um, I think that it's it's not a county. It shouldn't be a county by county um, uh, obligation. I mean, we, we can, it's, you know, I, I have, I feel the same way about public schools for that matter. You know, it's just not fair. You got, you got some counties and some school districts, uh, you know, some local units of government that have the dough and they can do it right, but most struggle. And, you know, you're relying on an antiquated property tax system to fund local governments. Um, uh, it is, um, subject to the vagaries of the real estate market, um, and uh, and and it, it, I just don't think it's a, a a smart way to fund as important a system as the courts. We call ourselves one court of justice, right? But um, but we're really not. We're 82 different courts of justice if you just count them on a county by county basis. Um, and how good a job those courts can do depend to a certain extent on how rich those counties are. So I don't, I don't think it ought to be done that way. I think that, uh, that maybe, um, you know, what, what a, a better way to do it would be for, um, uh, the, the state to pick it up, pick up the tab itself. Uh, it's a state obligation to provide justice systems and, um, and allocate on a on a on a um, uh, the caseload basis how much courts are going to get. Not on who wins and who loses or anything like that. How many civil files do you open and close? How many family law files do you open and close? How many misdemeanor cases? How many landlord tenant cases? How many felony cases? And allocate uh, to the courts uh, uh, an amount that is based on uh, how busy they are. That's I think would be the the fairest way of doing it. I know that there are some out there who feel that the users of the system, quote unquote users, ought to pay, you know, for the privilege of being able to use it. Uh, and in this respect, I'm, I use the word privilege a little sarcastically because defendants don't ask to get charged. Um, and maybe, maybe there is a, a, an argument to be made that def that criminal defendants should pay some form of restitution to society for the fact that, you know, they they did something wrong and society had to hold them accountable, and it's, a, and it's expensive to do that. But you can you can do that in a in a more proportional way and in a way that um, I think fulfills the penalty purposes of punishment than the way we do it now where it's willy-nilly. Every court does it differently. Every court has different, you know, uh, budget pressures and different philosophies about how to pass that along. And I think it should be more consistent. I think that requires the state to do it. But I also don't think that my ideas are going to gain any traction in Lansing anytime soon. Well, I think that we do see, I mean, in the Wayne County region, at least, we have, uh, we're, our courts aren't even funded on a county basis. They're funded city to city to city. And there is competition 
uh, even between Oakland and Wayne County, over forfeiture cases. You'll have Oakland County coming down into Wayne County to seize assets uh, from some drug dealer because it's profitable. And I, I just, the law enforcement for profit has gotten out of control, and I think that this is almost in lockstep with this idea of self-funding the courts through taxes imposed against the criminal defendants. And money talks. That's my concern about the presumption of innocence. I'm not saying that a particular judge is going to find a particular defendant guilty because, hey, this is worth a couple bucks. But uh, that judge that I cited in the newspaper article, to the best of my knowledge, that particular judge has never ruled in a defendant's favor at a motion evidentiary hearing, ever, mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. being on the bench. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I could. Yeah, and there is some. Influ- there, there is potential influence there. You're right. If you don't, if you don't kick a case, it should get kicked. You're more likely to twist a to twist a plea out of somebody. No, no question about it. And you know, we've 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 heard these kinds of rumors in certain about certain courts when it comes to traffic tickets, right? You know, magistrates are influenced in informal hearings to find people responsible because they can assess fines and costs. Uh, you know, uh, so I mean, it's not it's it's not a a, a crazy concern um, that that uh, that courts can be influenced. Um, to the detriment of a defendant's constitutional rights by these kinds of by these kinds of concerns. So what's the recommendation for our membership? Should they be talking to their house rep? Should they be calling their state senator? Are we just doomed to have this thing pass and continue to debate the issue with the politicians or what? Well, I think that we're doomed to have it pass. I think that it's going to pass. Uh, and I think it's going to pass with bipartisan support, and, uh, although I think there's also going to be bi- some bipartisan concerns. Um, but the fact that it's going to pass doesn't mean we shouldn't talk and express our concerns. We have expressed our concerns. CDAM opposed uh, and does oppose this bill. Um, uh, Noah Smith testified uh, at committee hearing last week uh, uh, eloquently, from what I hear. Uh, Shelley Weisberg, uh, the ACLU's legislative uh, uh, rep, uh, legislative liaison also testified uh, with NOAA. Um, you know, the state's been sued uh, in, in recent years for um, uh, being too aggressive and imprisoning people who can't pay. Uh, so the, the issue is timely and the issue has a profile in Lansing, and I think it's important um, that we tell our representatives what our concerns are in connection with it. But in doing so, I think we also have to uh, keep in mind that we 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 do expect um, that uh, that the bill that is the bills that are going to be passed in the next couple of weeks we we think are temporary measures and um, uh, everybody uh, in government expects that this conversation will continue. That's another reason why we should continue to have the conversation. People should talk to their representatives, but not do so uh, in a in a manner that assumes they're not going to be heard, do so in a, in a manner that 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 uh, uh, respects the fact that that we are going to have further discussions on it. There is going to be more said, and um, uh, and we anticipate that before the end of the 24-month sunset period, there's going to be changes, and the changes will hopefully reflect adequately uh, and address. Uh, the concerns uh, that we've raised and that we've talked about today. Okay, John. Anything else to tell our membership as a wrap-up? 
Not that I can, not that I can think of. I think it's a great issue. I think the Supreme Court, uh, which uh, gets a lot of brickbats and deserves most of them, um, did the right thing when it decided Cunningham. It's given us an opportunity that we shouldn't waste. I wish that we had had the sort of cohesion that it seems to me like we've got now, at least with the internet. Uh, when the initial cost bill came out for emergency responders after the Columbine shooting and how that somehow led to cost recoupment for emergency responders with uh, drunk driving cases. <laughs> well, you know, you, you made a good point earlier about how this is this is part of the larger conversation, you know, how you know, the, the driver responsibility fees is a classic example. But other legislators have, have uh, they're, they're concerned. They don't like this proliferation of, you know, uh, of, 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 taxes on system users. They, they, many of them likewise feel there has to be a better way. So hopefully we'll make some progress in finding that better way. All right. Thank you very much, John, for that update. That wraps up this episode of the Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this free audio presentation. If you like the show, give us some feedback and subscribe to the show on iTunes. Copyright 2014, Criminal Defense Attorneys of Michigan, all rights reserved. You may download and freely redistribute a copy of this podcast without charging a fee, but you may not modify, delete, or extract any portion of this podcast without express written consent. The music contained in this podcast is licensed under Mevio, with all rights retained by the original author. Check out Donia Oxford's website at www.doniaoxford.com. That's D O N A O X F O R D.com. Got to stand by.